You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos. I hate calling myself that. And underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hey, here we are again, another episode of delirious nomads uh I, I was thinking today about how many of my rock heroes i'm getting to interview on this little podcast um many of whom are my friends but it's just but it's just really cool um just gonna want to start off the podcast this week just saying how cool it is to be in a position to have really great conversations with uh with my friend matt bacon here with uh with all the musicians that I that I love or have loved for a very long time. And today's guest, a very, 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 very special guest. Um, I've been a fan of since the mid 80s. Um, Mr. Lizzie Borden is here with us, heavy metal legend. Welcome, my man. Oh, it's good to be here. How are you? I am doing great. I mean, everything's been going, pre- even though we're in the end of this pandemic, uh, you know, I've been in my studio just working. So uh, my life is kind of unchanged. I would be here anyway. Right. So, uh, so it's all, it's all going. So yeah. So tell us what's going on. Are you, are you working up on, on a follow-up to my midnight things? Yeah. I'm, I, this one's, uh, you know, I never do the same record twice. So this record is so different than, than my midnight things and even any of the other ones doing a little more classic metal in this one. And it's a little heavier, but it's still actually been the most fun album I've ever done. It's it's coming. It's almost writing itself. It's pretty cool. So when you when you write, you with your brother, you with Joey, yeah. Joey's got his own studio. Uh, he he finally. I live in Vegas, so he finally moved to Vegas, and he's you know twenty minutes up the road. Got it. And he works out of his studio, and I work out of mine. Uh, basically, the way it works is, I'll start with whatever ideas I have, and piece the whole song together myself with with a drum whatever i kind of when i put the drums together i'm i'm thinking of joey's style cuz he's always been you know his style has kind of really been the catalyst for all Lizzie Borden songs so i kind of p- piece his drums together you know in a drum program that's based around his style and then i work away depending on what direction i'm i'm going and how i do it uh as far as what the concept is and what the song is if it's going to be dark song or it's going to be up tempo whatever I'll piece the whole song together. I'll sing it. And when I figure, when I have the arrangement, I have everything I need, then I ship it to Joey. 
and then he takes it and he'll put his drums on it and piece some other production ideas on it. We're kind of working backwards. This is the first time we've ever done this. So the vocals and the drums are will be finished before we bring in the musicians to uh, replace all my parts. Oh, wow. Because I play the bass, the guitars, the lead guitars, the keyboards, but I want to replace them with, uh, you know, amazing friends that I have and even my band. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. So we're kind of working backwards and it's, it's really interesting. We've already done a couple of pieces uh, where we brought Gray Trainer, who's uh, our live player, and he came in and did some stuff and amazing, just absolutely amazing. So it's it's coming out like I said it's it's the most fun record I've ever done because all the pressure is off of me because I do all the vocals first. It used to be in the old days we'd spend so much time on the drums and the guitars that by the time I did vocals I'd have 2 days to do the vocals. And it would be like I would no time to experiment, no time to do anything. But since, you know, the last 2 or 3 records I've been able to do the vocals the way I want them and it's changed the game and now I'm changing the game even further. Right. So, you know, you and I have become friends uh, over the last few years, which has been amazing. Uh, so I kind of know a little bit of what, you know, what's been happening. And so, you know, my Midnight Things came out was your first full length in quite a while, right? It had been several years and you were getting ready to do all these tours and stuff. And then the pandemic happens, right? Yeah, well, we did one tour with Demons and Wizards. We were the support act on that tour. And it was one of the best U.S. tours we have ever done. It was so good. And, you know, that audience, uh, Demons and Wizards is kind of a 2000s band, you know, or 90, late 90s, 2000. I don't know when they started, but their audience was not the typical 80s metal audience. So it was really inspiring. We went down so well every night. It was such a great thing. I love being the support act. I've always loved it. We mostly headline our whole career, but I, I really prefer being the support act. But in this case, it was one of the best tours we ever did. The attendance was ridiculous. And we played really good houses all around. So we were ready to continue that, you know. Uh, but we, at least we got that in. And that was, uh, you know, it went, from, it went from L.A. to New York. And it was, uh, and the New York show was one of the best uh, New York shows we've ever done. So it was, it was very uh, cool that we snuck that in right before the, the pandemic did you have a show scheduled recently that obviously got canceled but um, at the will turn no i didn't uh but we opened that that demons and wizards tour opened at the will turn we are weird I'm, i had it in my calendar for some reason and then of course i saw you headline um i don't remember i think it was the whiskey i think or something we did monsters of rock cruise and the whiskey those were our last two shows i believe and yeah that whiskey show was a hol hol halloween show and it was, uh, yeah, it was fun. So good. So good. So are you working with the same musicians on this record as the last or, or mixing it up? Yeah, it's, my live band is a new band since uh, the last uh, album. So My Midnight Things uh, live band is the one we've been uh, touring with and playing with. And uh, right now I haven't, I have, I've, Gray Trainer is one of the guitarists and he's come in and done some things. And I will probably bring the other guys in as well because uh, it went down so well. This is a whole, uh, these are all young musicians and it's a different world. When you, you know, all the 80s musicians I played with were all amazing, but they were different. The difference is they, you know, like we'd bring them in the studio and they would take 20 takes to do whatever they wanted to do. These guys come in and do one take and it's like ridiculous, it's perfect. And when we rehearse, we used to have to rehearse, you know, I don't know, uh, 
at least seven rehearsals before any tour. I could go on tour with these guys without any rehearsals and without ever playing any of the songs because they are so proficient at learning how to do all this stuff. So it's a whole different world. It makes it so much easier and the shows are flawless in that. In fact, I'm the weak link in the band because <laughs> these, these guys are so good. Well, it speaks to your own longevity. I mean, you guys first came out in 83 and I, you know, I took a peek at on, online just before this, you played with a lot of players, guys like Ira Black and et cetera. Throughout all the years, you know, with all the interchanging parts and how does it remain Lizzie Borden ultimately with, with musicians kind of coming in and out? Well, probably 90% of all the songs that we've done came from me, started with me. So uh, it's always my thumbprint on everything we do. And even when, if I, someone brings in a riff or a chord progression, it's still down to me to write the song. I still have to write the song. So even though I'm taking their input, it's very, you know, I make, I force it into my way of doing things. One of my heroes was David Bowie and he never did the same record twice. And that's kind of the way, I mean, even though I'm kind of in a genre, uh, I still want to press the bounds of those, that genre and do other things as much as possible. So even though I'm in the classic metal, classic rock uh, genre, I'm constantly trying to make a different record. So, uh, and then we have turnover of musicians that changes the, I mean, I, they come in and they have to learn how this band works. And even this new band that I have, it took them a little while to figure out how to, to work it on stage. In fact, just the last few shows, they all came to me and said, you know what? I understand now what, what it is you do <laughs> because it took me, it took me a few tours to figure this out, but now I understand what it is. This, this, this whole thing is because it's kind of, I, it's hard to explain it. This is how we do things. And it's like, okay, it seems understandable, but when you get down to it, the audience, the you know the song structure the uh, the pace of the show it all has that chemistry uh, is involved no matter what the lineup is so if you saw the band early on or you've seen the band recently it's Lizzie Borden mm -hmm. it's funny I was such a big fan of you guys growing up um, we've talked about this a little bit privately but what I did, haven't told you is I have a funny story I used to, American Metal used to be like you know, I used to play that song on repeat over and over and over and over again. And my, my, I lived in a house with just me and my mom and I, I was always cranking metal. Um, and it could be, you know, it could be like kill them, kill them all era Metallica, or it could be too fast for love era Motley Crue or whatever. It didn't really matter what it, what it, what it was, but I was always cranking metal in my room and she was very cool about it. Never gave me any grief. But I remember one time she like knocked on the door and she was like, I know, I get it. You need American metal, but can you just, can you need it a little bit, a little bit softer, <laughs> a, little bit, a little bit less loud. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> you know, I've heard a lot of those types of stories where the mother gets involved and they're like, they hate all the music that their kids listen to, but Hey, that Lizzie Borden's not bad. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's a testament to your voice. I mean, you have an iconic voice and you know, you know, Natalie, of course, my fiance, and she's an opera singer with a degree in opera and she never listened to metal when we first started dating. And now she's totally into it. Um, I mean, not totally into it, but she likes it. Um, but when she first started, everybody was like, um, you know, Oh God, just, just play Lizzie Borden and Jeff Tate for her. Just that'll be, that'll be the bridge. That'll be the bridge. <laughs> and it worked. It's weird. When I started singing, uh, my heroes were Glenn Hughes, Ian Gillen, Rob Halford. You know, kind of the, that, those three guys were really kind of 
made my voice. But I knew that I didn't want to get pigeonholed in just one, you know, one thing. So I actually bought a bunch of opera records. The way I learned how to sing was singing to other singers and see if I could hit those notes, see if I could tweak those inflections and make it my own. And the opera was the most challenging. It was like ridiculous. Just uh, it was like exhausting. You go through <laughs> that, your whole body just wants to crumble after, you know, you do 20 minutes of that. So, yeah, I did. I did a lot of opera in the early days with no training, just, you know, the records. Who are your favorite composers? Well, you know, this was a long time ago. <laughs> I, haven't done it. I haven't done it in a long time. But I actually, whatever was out during that time that was kind of, um, was all about the vocals, not necessarily the big shows or anything, but just uh, the male singers, even some of the female singers. I wanted to see if I could hit those notes. And it was just training for me to try to figure out how to expand my horizons as a vocalist. I recently saw for the second time, um, I went back and revisited the decline of Western civilization, which I saw, you know, 15 years ago or something. And um, I watched it and I forgot that you were in that. Totally, totally forgot that you were in that. It was, uh, it was a treat to see you. Why did you guys choose back then to do Want to be wild. Was that your choice to do that? Or was it or, as opposed to an original or? It was Penelope Spheras. Uh, she, she wanted, I wanted me against the world because we just come out with the album. And, uh, and I said, we got to have that one. So she recorded, she did, the, she filmed the whole show. It's somewhere around, but no one will ever get rights to it. But uh, it's a, they filmed it at Perkins Palace and they filmed the whole show and me against the world. She put it in there. And I was very close. To, I mean, when she came on board, she didn't she didn't have Steven Tyler. She didn't have Alice Cooper. She didn't have Kiss. She didn't have anybody. She just had the local scene. It's, all she had was Megadeth and Lizzie Borden. That was the top tier bands that she had. So I did so much with with that. She filmed me so many times and did some a lot of uh, voiceover stuff with her. But the more bigger artists she got, the more Lizzie Borden got cut. Mm. So I didn't even know how badly we got, we got cut because really we were going to be a lot, lot more uh, featured in that movie. We were at the opening at uh, the Cinerama Dome and we did the press conference uh, at the Capitol Records in the morning. And then we did the uh, opening at, at Cinerama Dome. And I was talking about all the stuff we did in the movie, but I didn't know it was cut out. And then I've, I'm, sit, I'm sitting in my seat, ready to see the movie with every, every star-studded event. And she comes over to me. And she goes, I want to apologize. I had to cut a lot of stuff because I got Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. And I go, don't worry about it. I understand. And so I, I think it was the appropriate amount of time when she finally cut it out. But yeah, it was. My, I wanted me against the world. And she thought Born to be Wild kind of represented this excitement of the eighties on the sunset strip yeah, at the time. I could see that. Yeah. It's a great performance. I was just curious why. Yeah. That, that answers the question. Great performance stuff. What happens next? Now you record the record. It'll come out in 2022, I guess. Right. Well, I just had a meeting with Brian Slagle and he said next year is going to be a flood of artists. And if I wanted my record to have the full attention that I should wait until early 23. Uh, otherwise I'm going, you know, but he's had some success with experimenting by putting singles out like pop stars do early on. So we are gonna put singles out throughout 22. And, and then I think the album will be out in early 23. So there will be the, the first single probably be at the beginning of summer maybe, and then maybe we'll do at least two more 
throughout the year and then uh, full it, put the album on. Matt works with a lot of bands across a lot of labels. That's kind of the strategy that you employ, right? With bands is kind of more singles as opposed to full lengths. Depending on the band, but yeah, like I, I just like that model because like, you know, for me, it's about like being in someone's face once a month or once every two months and just being able to be like, hi, here, here, here's another thing, you know, especially if you have like a video or a lyric video or whatever to look at. And especially when you've got like a legacy, like you do, you know, there's a lot of video you can throw up there. That's how I view it. And for me, I've always loved this model. In fact, I've been pitching it to, to Metal Blade for years. <laughs> just like, why can't we just release singles like pop stars do? I mean, Rihanna releases a single a year before her album, her first right, single right. goes out, you know, and then she slowly filters it out. By the time the album comes out, it's iconic. And that's makes sense to me. So I, like I said, I've been pitching this for years. So he just the other day, Brian pitched it to me and I said, yeah, I love it. I'll take it. <laughs> so I wanted to ask about your relationship with Brian because you and I actually did sort of briefly meet at his like 60th birthday party zoom thing. Oh, right. Yeah. And he mentioned that, sorry, there's a siren outside my house. Cause you know what? It, it makes it authentically New York. Exactly. <laughs> Brian mentioned on that call that he thinks you are like the person in music who he's been friends with the longest. Can you talk about that relationship? Because that must go back like 40 years at this point, right? Yeah, we were rehearsing and we were doing all this, you know, uh, I had a couple of bands that we were kind of playing with. In like 82, we started writing Love You To Pieces, the first album. But then we couldn't find a bass player. We couldn't get things going. So Joey and I went off to form, uh, to, to join other bands that were happening at the time. And we played the strip and we got our feet wet. But we had written some good songs, we thought, you know, and songs that would end up on Love You To Pieces. So we ended up rechanneling and finding a bass player and putting it all together. When we did one demo, first time we were ever in a studio, we walked in and did Rod of Iron. And uh, then someone came to me and said, hey, there's this label called Metal Blade that uh, this guy puts out, you know, local bands. And at the time, getting a major deal or even a record deal at that time was impossible. It seems so easy now to think about it. Almost anyone could put out their product, but back then you couldn't get beyond playing live in your little community. You know, in ours was Hollywood, but it still was very small. Uh, so it was one of those things where um, a chance to put out an album, oh my God. So they told me this guy worked at uh, a record store. So Joey and I went, over, went down there and uh, Brian was behind the table, but I didn't know at the time. And I just said, hey, I hear there's somebody that puts out independent stuff. He goes, yeah. He go, and I go, well, I have a demo. He goes, yeah, just leave it with me. So I left it with him and he puts it on right when we were in the store and we were like, oh my God, you know, that, that then was a big deal to have, you know, 40 people in a record store and have some guy put on your demo, you know, and, and do live broadcast right there. And we had people that were talking about it and everything. And he came out and he goes, I guarantee you one of these songs will be on the next Metal Massacre. I don't even know what Metal Massacre was, <laughs> but that that started our friendship. And, uh, you know, because we were the same age, we were into the same bands. We played golf, we played tennis, we played all this stuff. You know, we, we had the same thought in mind. So all the stuff that we did and he always liked to, to, to uh, he still does get people from that know each other and together. So us, the Saint guys, bitch, we would watch uh, horror movies at his place, his mother's house. We would, uh, you know, have parties. We'd do all this stuff. And it was very, um, it was fun 
before anyone knew who any of us were. So it was, uh, you know, it was Brian who actually created that whole thing and brought all those people together. So yeah, that's why we've been friends since, uh, I don't know, 83. Wait, so I was going to ask you how you got into metal in the first place, and I still want to hear that, but but because you just said the word horror, you were just in a horror movie as well. Yeah, I made my, uh, finally, I mean, you know, I, I, Metal Blade used to get uh, sent scripts all the time that was pointed at me. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then it, they would always go to some known actor. It would almost never go to a, a musician or whatever. But I, you know, I was, I've done theater on stage for, you know, since the beginning. So uh, it felt uh, like I was bound to do this. And it, it's sad that it took this long. But yeah, I just did a movie called uh, Die Influencers Die. It's actually a subgenre of gore. So I wouldn't call it horror. It's more gore. And it was a blast. It was very familiar. I've done so many videos where the, where the whole video is just me. Nothing was unique to me except for spouting the dialogue. But really, when I'm singing this dialogue, it's very the same. So uh, it was it was such a great experience. I really want to do more because I had a blast. Where can people find that movie? Uh, it's on all the platforms, Apple TV, uh, Prime, pretty much everywhere out there. I was with Slagle a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and he brought me by the Metal Blade Museum because I had never been there. And we started talking about you and we started talking about that movie because he has a poster up. Um, and I have not seen the movie yet. Apologies. But he said it was great. He said it's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, Brian's a connoisseur of uh, of gore. We used to watch a lot of gore films and even <laughs> doing the stuff that we were doing on stage. I was still going, oh, my God. You know, so that that whole subgenre is very interesting to see. I mean, they were the ones who created the special effects we see today. You know, they sit, they showed what was possible with no money and just your brain. So that's what this movie is. This movie is a low budget film. Everyone's just kind of just throwing their hat in the ring. And and the character was uh, my character doesn't even have a name. <laughs> it's just uh, but it was very fun to try to to do it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I had, I had a blast. I want to do it again. Love it. Well, if you ever if you do another one and you need somebody to kill, I'm here. OK, <laughs> <laughs> I was in talks with somebody who wants to do a, a little cameo in a, in a horror, horror movie, and I was so excited to do it, but it fell through. But maybe. They all do. I, mean, I probably had 20 scripts that fell through, you know? And some of them went, and they became, you know, movies that you know of today. But, but I was, you know, they at least sent a script to me to do, but it, either a, somebody bigger got it or, or the whole movie fell through, so... Okay, so speaking of horror, I know Matt wanted to talk to you about the origins of the, of the band name and your name and your moniker and the famous murders. Go ahead, Matt. Lizzie and I talked about this before, um, and you're actually not super into the story, right? It's not that I'm not into it. I just figured that, uh, you know, I wrote Give Him the Act, and I wrote a couple other things, and then I realized, oh, my God, I'm only going to be known for this. So I just said I, I got to distance myself. So I and I didn't really learn about the origins of the whole thing to begin with, but I realized I didn't want to be just this, you know, Halloween band. You know, we do a lot of theatrics on the stage, but really those are segmented to one or two or three songs. For the most part, we're a rock band, theatrical rock band on the dark side, for sure. But we've done so many other things uh, that... Uh, that I figured if I just keep writing about that same story, it would be, you know, I never really wrote about the story and I never dove deep. I saw the movie in the seventies when I was a kid. And like I was saying earlier, um, when I came up with that, 
moniker, it had been a hundred years or whatever it was. So it, it faded out of, you know, most people weren't talking about, it. they didn't even know who Lizzie Borden was. And then since the movies and TV shows and all that, it's kind of opened up a whole new thing. But really during the early eighties, no one even knew who Lizzie Borden was. In fact, uh, no one ever asked me, they all always asked me, where'd you get the name? Because they had no idea. So that's kind of also was one of those things that I liked about it because it was kind of this thing in the back of your mind. You may have heard of it. So we were kind of already on a good page when someone said, have you heard of this band, Lizzie Borden? Everyone would say, I think so. <laughs> so that's kind of why I took the name. I thought it was such a already, um, you know, and also if you did know anything about it, you knew what kind of what you were going to get if you went to a Lizzie Borden show. Well, you know, totally coincidentally, those murders took place in the town I was born in, Fall River, Massachusetts. Oh, really? Wow. That's crazy. What was the inspiration behind the theatrics on stage? Like, was there a particular artist you were trying to emulate? Well, the first band that I had ever seen in a in a arena was Kiss. And watching that changed my whole world. In fact, that show, Brian Slagle went to that show. I didn't know him at the time. What year was it? This was uh, February 76. Oh, wow. That's, that's fucking sick. I was very young. I had to have my uh, sister bring me. I was blown away. I mean, it was something that changed my world uh you know with and i took something from each character each guy had something i liked and i you know that's why they were so good just like the beatles you know there's one guy in the band that does something that you identify with and all of them did for me so uh yeah and then i started you know figuring out what everything was and then you know stumbled on alice cooper stumbled on the tubes and, you know, all the bands that were doing theatrical rock, David Bowie was a huge influence. And then right at that time, the glitter rock explosion, it was glam rock in, in England, but it was in New York and, uh, and, and Hollywood was glitter rock, especially Hollywood. They called it glitter rock. Leaker street scene. Yeah. Yeah. And so I walked into that world as a kid, you know, so it was like, oh my God, what is this? You know, it was like superheroes everywhere. And it, and it was, um, it was something different. You didn't look like your audience back then. And so that's what attracted me to all of those bands. It was just something like, wow, I got to see this. This is, you cannot miss this, you know? So I went to see all the, the bands that, you know, at that time there wasn't a lot of bands doing theatrics in the local scene. Um, but since, uh, I guess, since that turned into heavy metal, which was probably around 82, then you started seeing these bands coming out doing theatrics. And, but yeah, my whole thing was I put an ad in the paper looking to form a theatrical band. That was it. So, you know, I, 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 I made sure I put that in there because I didn't want anyone that was going to come and audition and go, uh, what is this? What are you trying to do? You know, I, I theatrical was always going to be a piece of it. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And what, like, how do you evolve your, stage show because like your stage show that i saw in 2018 is obviously much different than what you were doing 10 years before that or 10 years before that like what how, how does it change like what's the process i guess well it's kind of weird because we did the first tour we ever did was loving to pieces murderous metal road show and we went from here to new york and back in canada and everywhere when we came back we had an opportunity to film the show so we filmed it and that was the last time we ever did that show I tore the whole show apart and created a whole new show. 
And that's what I had done ever since. So every time I put out a record, I try to make it, you know, I have a different character that I play. The whole reason for him being is different than the character before. So in my mind, I'm doing this, you know, everyone else sees Lizzie Borden in a different costume, but really it's in my mind, I'm doing a whole, whole different, he has a whole different perspective. You know, uh, the Menace Society record, that character was a general, you know, and it goes on and on and on. So I changed the show around basically the songs and the concept that I write about. And that's how the show changes between every single record. And so, you know, most people don't know that. And I try to make it universal. So you don't have to know what I'm doing to enjoy the show. But there is a lot of depth to to what I'm trying to do every time I put out an album. There's there's still a plot line of the performance. There is. And you can even string them all together, too, which I've always oh, tried wow. to. I have that outline to be able to string them all together. So, uh, you know, I always wanted to do a comic book based on all these characters. It's just we never have done it yet, but I eventually want to do it uh, at some point. But yeah, I mean, these characters are, uh, you know, all they're singing, they're spewing these lyrics from the new album based on their, even when I'm writing it, I'm writing it based on the character and I'm trying to visualize what he looks like. By the time I'm done with the record, then I'll go to the costume designer and the makeup artist and try to figure out, say, this is what this character is. And uh, Rallis and Katie Kahn usually are the ones who come in and, and I'll tell them what I'm doing and they'll, create a bunch of stuff and we'll go back and forth and try to figure out what this character looks like. That's cool. I, um, I'm really, really good buddies with Arthur Brown and he's kind of outlined a pretty similar, Oh wow. A pretty similar process. So that's kind of interesting to hear you do the same thing. That is cool. I mean, he's like the first, right? <laughs> I was once walking with him in York and a busker was playing an America song and he leaned down to me and said, they wrote that in my living room. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, if could. If if Cooper is the godfather, he's he's the great god great god godfather. I mean, he's like he's the he's the original. Dude's insane. <laughs> but it was just cool. That's why I was asking because he's told me a lot about his sort of visualization. So I'm always. I was I was once going to do uh, fire. Oh, sick. Yeah, I was going to do a rendition of it, and then I was, and then I don't know what happened. <laughs> but it's still on the dock. I'd I would like. To, to I'd love it. to see that. Yeah, no. It's a great song. It's a great song. I know you've played giant festivals, right? Hellfest and things like that, right? In front of however many tens of thousands of people that is. What's the largest crowd you've played for? It's hard to tell. I think Vakken. Vakken was probably the largest. We were on the main stage and it was 2,000. And I I know they have 90,000 people now. So I'm not sure what it was in 2000, but it was massive. You couldn't see the end. That's always the best. (laughs) Yeah. What's that like looking out onto a sea of people that vast? Well, for me, it's like a military operation because uh, I'm not just there to entertain. I'm there to win. And if I don't win the crowd, (laughs) if I don't win the crowd, then it was a waste. You know, and I don't care how many people said it was entertaining. If I don't win the crowd, it was a waste of time. So that's kind of the way I look at it. So I it's not about enjoying myself. It's not about doing my thing. It's about winning the day. And especially with a crowd that big, and especially since most of the, you know, if you, if there's 90,000 people there, maybe 20,000 have heard of Lizzie Borden, you know, it's just, or, or, or intimately involved in, in the songs. So it's like, you know, when Iron Maiden plays, they 
start the, the first note, everyone knows, especially in Germany. Um, so they, you don't, they don't, there's no prompting that needs to be done. Uh, with me, I have to win the day on every way that I can and not let them off the hook for a second. If we're playing an hour set, I can't lose them for a second. And so it's, uh, uh, it's exhausting, but it's the only way that I can operate. I can't just say, well, if they like me, they like me. You know, it's just, just not, it's not the way I'm built. So that's fascinating. Um, but so, so the second part of that question then would be because, you know, you bring a different character to the stage each tour and that character tries to connect with the audience. What are like, how, how do you connect with an audience at a small club or, you know, or a mid-sized club compared to how do you connect with that giant crowd? Like what do you use a different approach or is it the same show? Uh, it's the same show and it's the same approach. I mean, we've had like 15 people and I do an arena show and I get those 15 people to sound like they're 60. And, you know, so it, it's kind of the same approach. The only difference is some of the early characters or that I was playing with, uh, like David Bowie in the early days, rarely spoke to the audience, mostly because he probably was on cocaine. He couldn't talk, <laughs> but, <laughs> but really he didn't speak to the audience all that much. And of course, Cooper never spoke to the audience and Gene Simmons never spoke to the audience. So I played around with some characters with, that didn't speak to the audience and it did not work because I couldn't really break down that wall. And I wanted to be more like Paul Stanley, who was, was able to break down that wall and still be part of the show and not let, not let go of the character. So that was the challenge, just keep in character, break down that wall so the audience can come aboard but still remaining character. And that was the only difference. But other than that, when we play small clubs and we play arenas, it's the same show. Nice. Do you have any touring plans for 2022? Are you going to do any of the festivals while you're putting out singles here and there? Or? I hope so. We're getting offers right now. They're slowly coming in. And, you know, it's because of COVID. It's, you know, I haven't really been active because I really, I didn't want to book anything and have to cancel it. It's just the prep work to put a Lizzie Borden show together and then have it all go through, there'll be a lot of money spent. So there's just no point in putting something together with all of that and then you know, have it all collapse and then I'm out, all that stuff. So I, I've been waiting to, to make sure that whatever we book, it's going to happen. So we've got a couple things booked, but it hasn't been announced because we, it hasn't, uh, we don't know if it's going to happen, uh, but it's coming. And, and I'm, you know, I really want to get back to the festival circuit lately especially with my midnight things, it was the best response to an album I've ever put out. And it was the best reviewed album I've ever put out. People actually understood it and got it, which was amazing because I didn't think that was going to happen. But I wanted to, you know, to make sure that whatever we book for this next thing is going to be, is actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's been, it's been very tumultuous. I mean, there's still, it does seem to be getting better, but there's still, I mean, there was in a week that goes by that you don't read some tours canceling for this reason, you know, for COVID reasons and whatnot. And especially with the mandate, if the mandate comes through with every, all these shows, you know, who knows how, what the turnouts are going to be. And if the turnouts are bad, those, they're going to, those shows are going to collapse anyway. So yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy to find out what's going to happen. And, uh, but like I said, I'm working on the album. So uh, either way, I, I, when Brian told me that we were going to do, have this new strategy for the new album, I took half the album that I had already written and threw it out. So I'm starting with the, a whole new thing with the next, with the, the last half of the record. So it's kind of really interesting. I'm kind of like starting the album again, even though I have half the album done. 
So when you, I mean, I don't know how proficient you are as a guitar player. We've never talked about it. Do you, when, when you go to actually record the album, do guitar players come in and flush it out and make changes or is, are you, is everything you hear on the record, you wrote exactly the way you hear it basically? Well, I played on the last few records. I just usually don't take credit or I, uh, or I use a different name, <laughs> but yeah. So I, you know, you've heard me play because I've oh, been okay. on those Great. records, but I don't even rehearse. I don't practice these guys, you know, these guys that I, that I work with, they practice all day long. So it makes no sense for me to do it. I, I did it on the last record, but really only because that record was suited to it. And I actually brought in like Dario Lorena came in and he goes, what you're playing is perfect for this song. Whatever I play is not going to be perfect for this song. So, and even metal blade, Brian said, no, you leave it the way it is. So, that's the only reason I left my parts on there. Otherwise, I was going to replace all of them. But for this album, I definitely want the proficiency of uh, these great players because I don't I just write. I don't sit home and try to be a great guitar player. I, I am never going to be one of these guys. And my producer at the time, El Elliot Solomon, you know, here, the Master of the Skies record. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, he, he was saying, do not learn how to do this the right way because all your melodies will go. If you learn how to, if you learn uh, how to read music and you learn how to do all that, you will not come up with these melodies because he said some of these melodies, no one would ever come up with. You're you, you just don't do it. And so, it, you know, cause I was starting to be, get pretty good. I was, you know, I was actually rehearsing and practicing and he goes, don't do it. Right. <laughs> he goes, all those original melodies would just go right out the window. And so, you know, I took his advice and, and it concentrated on just the writing aspect. That's that's amazing. I actually had no idea that you played guitar. That's my bad. I had no idea. I think I'm a better bass player than I am a guitarist because I love the bass. I've always loved. I at one point I wanted to be Glenn Hughes. You know, sing. Yeah, Glenn Hughes is amazing, and he's still outgoing. He's still going strong. He's ridiculous. I mean, at his age, he does what he does. You know, and a lot of people say, "Well, when you get older, your voice diminishes." His voice didn't. In fact, it might be better than it was. And so it's just, you know, I backed the right horse when he became my vocal teacher, even though he doesn't know me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Matt, you got anything for, for the legend here? No, I'm just very honored to have gotten to spend some time with you. Pleasure was mine. Great to meet you. And uh, yeah, I had a blast. It's great. I doubt that anyone listening doesn't know who you are, but just in case they don't or they or they need to rediscover you, where can they find you like on social media or anything where can they find you? Websites, anything like that? It's all real Lizzie Borden. So Instagram and Twitter and all of that. And um, and then if you want to buy all the stuff, you go to metalblade.com. Because uh, they have, uh, we just, we spent all year really reissuing all of uh, the past records on vinyl, on colored vinyl and everything. They're, they come with great packages with posters and stickers and all that stuff. So uh, that's what we spent all year doing. And I, that's what I've been promoting all year. So. Uh, that's all out there now. I think we have one or two left to do, um, but they've, they're all out there. And vinyl is kind of been this interesting thing. We thought it was going to be this little niche thing, but it turned out to be uh, a really viable old technology, uh, you know, that people are interested in, which is crazy. I grew up on albums, so I love them. Yeah, I don't see CDs ever getting that kind of revival, but albums for sure. There's something special about a record. Just something special about a record. When we were kids, you just stare at the record for hours while you're listening to the music. It's like no kid does that today, but it is great to see that they want that piece of, I, I can't even call it nostalgia because it's kind of reinvented itself. So it's 
It's interesting. All right, my man. Well, I hope to see you soon. I'm glad that we don't see each other that much because whenever we see each other, we end up hanging out till five or six o'clock in the morning. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually ready for one of those nights. I actually am ready for one of those as well. So I'll be in touch. (laughs) All right. Um, Thanks for doing this, man. Really appreciate it. Best of luck on the new stuff. Can't wait to hear it. And uh, yeah, I will. uh, I'll shoot you a note when I'm heading to Vegas next. Sounds good, man. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey, you. Did you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.